Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website at sumatisparks.com. Sumati, S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, and Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. (laughs) And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information just to add more love and passion into your life. So today I'm so excited to have as my guest Victor Waring. Victor is a somatic sexuality and relationship educator and coach and an erotic activist. His focus is on rewilding sexuality and relationships, supporting people in understanding their innate human primate desire for connection and eros and integrating that with their domesticated socialized values. Very interesting. Victor, welcome to the show. Mm, Thank you, Samiti. Glad to be here. Yeah, so glad you're here. I remember meeting you um, when you gave a presentation in Ashland, Oregon a couple years ago about rewilding our sexuality and Mm -hmm. kind of want to start there because it's an interesting concept and I think it can take us in a lot of directions, including the, um, when you talk about erotic activism and, um, you know, uh, what was the other thing that you called it? Uh, Decolonizing our relationships and it kind of can take us all over the place with that. So why don't you start with um, a little bit about what that means and, and then how it connects with your personal story and how you got to teaching that. Sure. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with the the word rewilding. Um, I'll start there, and say that um, uh, one of my one of my biggest values is uh, my my background. Uh, part of it is in uh, human cultural anthropology, and so mm-hmm. rewild rewilding um, doesn't necessarily mean like go crazy, get wild. I mean, people hear wild and they're like, oh my god, yay. Um, so rewilding wild, to me, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, not that. Um, so rewilding to me means uh, coming into uh, a better understanding of uh, who we are, who I am, who you are, who we are as humans, and sort of the original, as much as we can understand the original way that humans were. Uh, evolved to live and to be in relationships with each other, which has, um, which is radically different than how we're living right now. Um, And those, those, those changes or the, the, our more original way of living had a lot to do with um, not necessarily non-monogamy, although that was there, but definitely a wider web of connections and more tolerance for a wider web of intimacy than we are used to today. Right, right, right. And how does, how did you get into teaching a subject like this and being a somatic sexuality educator? Mm. So, yeah, I, um, I started the, down my somatic, well, down my somatic path 
uh, doing my master's work in somatic psychotherapy. Um, I don't know if you know of Naropa University, but I got my master's in somatic psychotherapy there. And so the body has always been hugely important to me, both in movement and creativity and body work and just understanding that. Um, and especially when it comes to talking about non-monogamy, we can, we can understand things at a, at a cognitive mental level and, you know, get it, but to really grasp, to really grok what we're doing in our relationships and like the way our boundaries feel and how we're going to interact with each other. It's really a, a, it's really a body level thing. Um, and so, so that was, so that was my way into the, the somatic piece. Um, mm-hmm. And then as far as sex, as far as sexuality and relationships goes, um, I have, you know, the uh, people talk about like what you're came into the world with. I think I just came into the world with this, this love and this passion for, for sexuality and, and for humans and how we do it, um, do it. And also just how, how we do it in general. Um, right. Yeah. It's always been a fascinating and moving part of my, my curiosity, my inquiry. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so when you talk about rewilding our, our sexuality and our, and our erotic nature, you mentioned that mm-hmm. um, there's ways that we're living now that are different than maybe our, in, what's in our DNA and how we evolved as humans. What, what are some examples yeah. of that, that were ways that we're not living our wild, authentic primate nature? <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so I want to, I want to, uh, preface this by saying um, a, a lot of what I'm saying is is conjecture because we actually don't know exactly how humans lived um, before we became domesticated and before we became agrarian. Um, we know a lot of uh-huh. things, but we don't know exactly. And we don't. So I, I just want to say that. But um, uh-huh. if you look at how uh, people who are not industrialized, who identify as indigenous or gather hunters or people that live in that type of uh, society, um, they tend to uh, be more egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to live in very intimate communities of smallish numbers of people. So 20, 25, 50 uh, rarely more than a hundred. Um, so they mm-hmm. very, they know each other very, very well. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes uh, parenting is shared. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so there's, uh, you know, I've, I've heard of some people, uh, I, one of my teachers, former teachers, Soban Fu Some, uh, said that when she grew up in village in Burkina Faso, uh, she didn't know who her actual mother was until she mm. was 13 years old. Um, every, every one in the village was mother or father. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and everything is, and everything is shared. And so my conjecture is that there was not as much emphasis on this dyad, this romantic sexual relationship, uh, as being the end all be all of everything that exists. 
there was not uh, a focus on, uh, uh, you know, what we sort of heteronormative modern culture of like, you know, there's a husband that provides food and a wife that raises children. Um, and, uh, and that's the main unit of society. The main unit of society was the community. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's how we evolved. Uh, we evolved um, to be really tolerant of, of uh, and really uh, to normalize a web of complex, intimate connections. When I say intimate, I don't necessarily mean sexual, but it, we, we knew each other. Yeah, well, I can so also imagine lived- that if we, if we lived in a way where we were sharing everything, out of necessity, being hunter-gatherers, you know, everybody has their role, and you really have to think about the whole tribe every day. It's not an individualist kind of life. So mm-hmm. if you're sharing everything, then why would sexuality be any different? Like, it doesn't make any sense that people would be like, well, I'm horny, so I'm going to go hide behind this tree where no one can see me and have sex with somebody. <laughs> so right. that was probably equally shared, wouldn't you say? Um, I, I, I think it's some, I think it's a case could be made for that. Um, and mm-hmm. if it wasn't, if it wasn't shared like between everyone, I don't think everyone was having sex with everyone. But, um, but my guess is that, uh, sexuality and relationships were, uh, less privatized. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, when you live, let's say you live in a longhouse, you know, with, with a clan, um, you, you know, sex wasn't something that happened necessarily, uh, yeah, like you were saying, behind a bush, out of sight. Um, we heard <laughs> each other. We smelled each other. We saw each other. Uh, we respected each other. Um, and it was just very, very, very different. Um, mm-hmm. And so so that's sort of, that's the bias of where I, I come from and what I invite people into when I'm doing my work with them, not, and I, I'm really clear, we can't live like that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or we, we can, we can try in little, in little tasters, but we don't really live like that anymore. And we're probably not going to, but it, yeah. my thing is if we evolved that way, then um, those things may be available to us. And it also might give us information about why um, our dyadic isolated modern relationships are um, so challenging um, and often so erotically um, sparse. Yeah. And, you know, we've gone the other direction where we value individuality so much that we've lost that sense of community and belonging so there might be somewhere in the middle that we can find we don't want to lose our individuality entirely you know but we don't want to completely live there 100 percent either because we long for the feeling of belonging to something right and here and here's the irony sumati that um that i i love uh and that is uh again broad brushstroke but when, when we talk about um pre-industrial people they often um, are uh, very sovereign. Um, there's a there's often a, a pretty strong ethic of you you don't really tell other people what to do. Um, mm-hmm. So at the same time, there's this like very woven connected flavor uh, 
to how to how they live. They're also incredibly sovereign uh, people, and they both those things both exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so, how would you say non-monogamy is connected with living more in community? So, um, people often will say. Um, or ask the question, well, you know, Victor, what are you saying? Are you saying that people are naturally non-monogamous? Are you saying they're naturally monogamous? Or what do you, you know, what are you saying? And um, I say that I, I think humans are naturally everywhere along the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably in more uh communal-based societies, that spectrum is more uh, available and honored. Again, I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in more modern societies, especially our, oh, I'll just speak to our society, which is not communal, is um, ownership-based. Um, there is uh, uh, I consider it frighteningly less <laughs> uh, tolerance for uh, any model of relationship that's not ownership based. Um, mm-hmm. That's not dyad based. We 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 consider the the monogamous couple to be the the building block of of everything, um, and that's one facet of what I would call colonization or domestication or ownership model. Wow. There's so much to unpack here. I want to go back to when you said there's a spectrum of, you know, monogamy versus, you know, full on polyamory or swinging, you know, there's all different levels of relationship models. Um, And often I'll get the question, you know, isn't polyamory just a way to avoid commitment? And I often tell mm. people, no, there's a, there's a spectrum for how monogamous versus non-monogamous you are. There could be a couple that's monogamish where they never actually play with anyone else. They just maybe go to play parties and watch or they watch porn together or whatever, but they never actually touch another person. And then there's, you know, people who have, you know, multiple, multiple uh, nesting partners and everything in between. And then there's a second spectrum around how committed you are and it's completely independent of your relationship style. So the amount mm-hmm. of commitment you have, you can have completely high commitment and completely high non-monogamy or you can have monogamy with no commitment. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so like how committed you are is completely independent of how monogamous you are. So I just wanted to throw that out there and, and see if you also get that projection from people who think that if you're non-monogamous, that just means that you're just screwed around and you're not really serious. Right. Well, first of all, I was, uh, I, I say to folks and I say to myself, um, if you want to screw around, that's valid. Um, if that's, if that's how you want to do it, you just need to make sure that you're doing that with people who uh, are on board and are consensual with it. Um, exactly. however, uh, yeah, um, yeah, there, there is, there is no, um, let me back up a little bit. Um, 
culturally speaking, our culture tends to uh, pathologize anything that is not based in monogamy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, so the first thing that people will say, yeah, is uh, yeah. If you're not doing monogamy or if that's not where you're headed, then there's something wrong. And that something wrong is usually either moral (laughs) um, uh, or it's, or it's uh, pathology. So yeah, we say Mm -hmm. people are not, uh, they've got attachment issues they're not committed um, and the truth is that, yeah, there's, there's, there's commitment, there's attachment in, in any, or, or, or not as possible in any kind of relationship, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous. Um, I definitely know lots of uh, monogamous people who are not committed or um, who avoid intimacy <laughs> within their monogamous relationships. Exactly. And I found that like a kitchen table polyamory kind of relationship model where, all parties involved know each other and want to be connected can actually challenge your degree of commitment more than a monogamous relationship because you've got multiple people that are all counting on each other to stay connected. So it's like you're amplifying Mm -hmm. your commitment there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people don't really, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna go on to um, another topic. So, did you something else you wanted to add to go. that? No, no. Okay. I'm too, too All right. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. So, um, so then you also brought up the term decolonizing the relationship. So, can so I know what it means, but you know, a lot of our white audience might not be familiar with what that means and what it means to decolonize your relationship. So, if you wouldn't mind doing a little education for us there, I really appreciate that. Sure. Yeah. And people ask me this all the time. What do you mean? What do you mean by decolonizing? So mm-hmm. um, uh, sometimes I use, I use the word decolonization and, and sovereign and rewilding sometimes interchangeably. Um, but so decolonization uh, means, or uh, it refers to the fact that um, the, the land that we're living on right now, the way that we live um, comes from a, a tradition of, of ownership, uh, of taking, uh, of um, power over, um, uh, of patriarchy. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we, we are living that we, the people of European ancestry, you know, that's, that's the main thrust of, uh, uh, the, you know, the tone <laughs> that's in this land. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, people that are of European ancestry, you know, they're carrying that. Uh, people of uh, African ancestry or indigenous ancestry, um, uh, those things were acted upon us. And so Mm-hmm. And so the way that shows up, and, and in particular in non-European people, um, and I don't want to go too far into this because uh, uh, I am not Indigenous uh, American, so you know there there's a wide swath of uh, deep understanding of of what of what this means that I am not privy to, but it means that mm-hmm. way, ways of living were thrust upon 
our bodies and our relationships that don't match um, how we, how our intentions were uh, mm-hmm. for living. And so thing, yeah, things like enforced, uh, enforced uh, monogamy, sort of this, this assumption, not even more than assumption, this demand that, um, uh, that we live in, in, in dyads or small families and that those were controlled uh, by the state. Um, uh, marriages are you know, generally controlled by the state and the church. Um, those, those things have left a mark on us. Mm-hmm. And so when, when people, people I work with, when they decide to, uh, to open up, or, you know, if, if, well, if they're in relationship, they decide to open up a relationship or if they're solo and they're like, I want to explore non-monogamy, um, I often will say to them, great. So um, it is possible for you to explore non-monogamy and still act in very colonized ways um, that are hard on relationships. So mm-hmm. um, if you are interested, we can do an inquiry on how to how to, here's where it comes up, decolonize um, that. And that's, it's a, it's a pretty big, deep dive. (laughs) Um, Not everyone is Mm -hmm. interested in taking that, um, but Mm -hmm. it's a place where I like to invite people to go. I hope, I hope that, I hope that, I hope that said something. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very, yeah, very broad overview. I can hear that it's a a bigger topic, Um, but does it ultimately lead so this is a dumb question, but I'm going to start here and then I'll explain what I mean. So in a way it sounds like decolonizing your relationship ultimately leads to like relationship anarchy of some kind or like solo polyamory. So, but we all, we all are very programmed mm-hmm. by monogamy, you know, mononormative kind of thinking. And so how do we live in the real world where, we function better in this screwed up society with a partner because there's certain privileges of that and we're programmed that way and our family wants us to do that and so forth. So how do we dance within the culture we're living in that kind of says like, Oh, you you can maybe be non-monogamous as long as you have a primary partner, you know, (laughs) there might be a little more room for that than somebody who wants to be like solo poly. So how does that all fit together? Yeah. So I want to clarify something. Um, I think uh, while decolonization might lead someone to, you know, lean towards relationship anarchy or solo polyamory, um, to me, the, the, the key thing here is about ownership. Um, mm-hmm. uh, decolonizing has to do in my body about and our bodies about uh, learning that we do not own other people. I do Mm -hmm. not own, I do not own your sexuality. I do not own your eroticism. I do not own your body. Um, And we choose to share these things with each other in whatever way we are going to. Now, those are really easy words to say. um, But the psychology behind it is, is deep and damaging. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so to really, to really learn it, uh, about decolonization and not owning other people, especially your intimate partners, um, 
I think it's a lifelong it's a lifelong learning because the programming is is so deep. And it doesn't mean that you don't have any say. It doesn't mean that you don't have any feelings about, you know, what your partner may or may not do. Um, uh-huh. But it means that it's, you know, like if, if we're in a relationship with each other, um, your, your sexuality and your eroticism, they were yours long before I ever met you. <laughs> um, and they're going to be yours um, long after, you know, we're, we're together. They're, they're yours. Um, and we elect, we get to figure out how we're going to come together and share that with each other and hopefully do it in a, a, a way that's not by default. Um, that's going to be more mm-hmm. intentional and um, more spoken. Yeah. So some people might say, well, it's just natural to be like, oh, this is my partner and, you know, my guy, my girl. There's a language around mm-hmm. ownership there. And there's a way that it kind mm-hmm. of feels good. Even somebody who, like mm-hmm. me, has been non-monogamous for 23 years now, there's still a good mm-hmm. feeling when somebody kind of claims me. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so how, how does that fit in with that, to feel like you belong to somebody and they've kind of claimed you? How, how does that fit into that programming? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't feel really very interested in, in modifying people's language. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm in a relationship with someone, I'm, you know, I might say, oh, this is my partner or, mm-hmm. um, or, or play little ownership games with them. Hey, come here. You're mine. You know, I don't want to like, play. Right. I don't want to like deny the, the pleasure that people get from those things, but also mm-hmm. to know at a, at a core level, um, that person is not yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when we talk about, you know, I, I'm in, I live in the United States, so most of my cultural knowledge comes from that. Um, when we talk about the ownership of, of people, um, that's really serious. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm, big, mm-hmm. that's big stuff. Um, and uh, so I don't want to dismiss how important it is to begin to understand, hey, you actually can have more freedom and, and more connection and more playfulness and more possibilities when we release that ownership of other people and we can feel lighter ourselves. Right. Excellent. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And um, if you want to ask Victor a question... This would be a good time for you to call in. Um, the call-in number is area code 657-383-1132, 657-383-1132. And don't worry, you won't interrupt us. You'll get put on hold, and we'll answer the call when the time is right. So feel free to call in. <laughs> and we, we did actually get an anonymous question from somebody who didn't want their name um, out there, but they, they wrote ahead of time with a question. So is it okay if I ask you that question now, Victor? Absolutely. Hope I've got something okay, great. to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll just call this person Maria for now. Um, Maria says that um, she's monogamous, but recently her male partner discovered he is not. And his mm. discovery came at a time, to- 
uh, came at a time when they were mending their romantic relationship. They still continued to co-parent together, but there was a period of time where they mm. weren't romantically involved. Um, the husband also discovered he was bisexual, but that was sort of a different discovery than him being polyamorous. So basically, Maria wants to know, like, how do you have a relationship with somebody who's bisexual and polyamorous when she herself feels like she's monogamous? Mm-hmm. And she wants to make it work because she wants him to be happy, but she doesn't even know where to start. <laughs> okay. Um, so one thing that jumped out at me as you were saying the last phrase you just said, um, she wants to make him happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, 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 I will start there. Um, and I'm curious to hear uh, Sumati, you, you too, because we both talk to people about things like this. But um, so. Um, but before you continue, yeah, Victor, wanna... those were my those were my words. I don't think she said that. Oh, okay. She said that okay. the poly world is new to me, but it's extremely confronting and goes against the beliefs I've had all my life as a monogamous person. Uh-huh. I'm not ready yet for my partner to seek new relationships, but I also know right. this is what I'm choosing if we're going to continue a relationship together. So. Okay that's sort of different from saying I want to make him happy, but she's, she's, she wants to know, is it healthy for her to choose this to make the relationship work? Gotcha. Okay. So I'll start off by saying that um, it is completely and utterly possible for um, a monogamous polyamorous uh, relationship to, to work or um, uh, sometimes the word that gets used is a, a poly discordant couple discordant isn't isn't mm-hmm. a lovely word but people have two different <laughs> orientations so it's completely mm-hmm. possible for it to work i don't know whether this will work but it is possible for it to work um mm-hmm. and it it will work if um if and i'm, I'm just want to make sure of gender and pronouns i think i heard she the yes the okay uh, it it could possibly work if she has the ability and the desire um, to know that what she wants is uh, works, her being monogamous, and has the ability to um, be accepting, tolerant of, um, embracing her her partner's other connections, but. Mm-hmm. Where I would, if I was sitting with these people in a room talking with them, um, uh, my my first thing or first couple of things would be, um, one, there's nothing that has to happen tomorrow. Um, from the information you've said, they they both neither of them have any real connection to what this being non-monogamous means perfectly valid lovely thing to be but there's a lot of frontal pre, uh, front loading of, of knowledge both book knowledge and body knowledge so I would say mm-hmm. to them really slow down you don't have to do anything right away and um, if you if you do that's often where like harmful hurtful things happen like oh my god I discovered this thing and now I just have to run out and do it um, so mm-hmm. just to, to slow to slow down. 
Um, and often with a, with a polydiscordant couple, the person who identifies as monogamous, um, uh, I will often say to them, what in, in, in diving into this, um, there's probably going to be something that you get from this that will, that will need to feel like a, a benefit to you. Um, mm-hmm. And, and what, what is that? Or maybe you don't know that, but what can you imagine it might possibly be? Um, and it's not to make it zero sum or tit for tat, but um, yeah. And, and even if that benefit is, I love seeing my partner be able to explore how he wants to explore, that could be the benefit. But somehow mm-hmm. it ha- it's going to have to work psychologically, spiritually, boundary-wise for, for both of those people. Mm-hmm. That's right. where I would start. Cool. Thank you. And um, the, the woman who wrote in um, wanted to just bring up the fact that she and her husband are black, and I didn't know if there was any cultural thing that I'm missing as a white woman that they might need to know about um, as far as like the acceptance in their community and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because I think they're, they're a little afraid that they're certainly not ready to be out about it. Um, and so how, how do they manage the culture they're living in and the, what people think of them and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the culture they're living in. Um, I know that they're both uh, black from what you're saying, but, you know, if I were to make broad statements, um, oftentimes people of African descent, um, uh, you know, are coming from um, uh, conservative religious backgrounds. That's often mm-hmm. there. You know, that might be part of the part of the structure of what she was saying. Oh, I, you know, mm-hmm. this goes against everything that I've learned. Um, so there would right. be. Um, some understanding deconstruction of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I I was like, I'm being, these are broad brushstrokes. But oftentimes um, in uh, African-American culture, um, there's uh, less tolerance, more uh, homophobia. Um, Mm -hmm. And so his, uh, his bisexuality, I'd want to explore that with them, with, with him, you know, how it sounds like this is a fairly recent discovery. How is he working mm-hmm. with that? Is there, is he feeling good about it? Is there, is there shame involved in it? You know, what's to what degree, you know, that might be going on. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, so that's using sort of cultural stereotypes as, you know, based on not sitting with these actual people. Right, right, right. I appreciate your attempt at uh, just giving kind of a general overview. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know, well, I would I appreciate that's really great stuff. And what I would add to that is, um, you know, Maria, you don't always know what you need until you start doing it. So right. you may not even know what to ask or what kind of requests to make of your husband until he maybe goes out on a first date with somebody. So just remember that you two are on the same team. And so mm-hmm. 
when he makes a date with somebody, if you find out later that you didn't really want to know that much about it, or maybe quite the opposite, you want to know all the details, as long as your husband has consent from the other person, um, maybe you want to know all the details and that helps you feel more included. Um, Maybe you even want to meet the person before they become sexual to kind of develop a friendship. You know, you don't know that until you've tried different things. So just keep trying and making micro adjustments as you go and be on the same team about it as you're both learning about each other. And then you can start to make those nuanced requests of each other. And just because somebody makes a request doesn't mean they have to do it. It just means nope. they they know that's what you want, and you can negotiate a win win. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often go heavy on the the front loading of um, not to not to necessarily understand every nuanced thing, but to to get an understanding of what you know as you feel into your body in this moment. What what does it feel you would want? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when you imagine your partner being outside of your your relationship, do you get an immediate feeling in your belly and your body of of comfort or discomfort when it feels more about sex, or when it feels more about connection and and relationship? Is it equally uncomfortable? <laughs> um, mm-hmm, just to, mm-hmm. just to start to get a feel for like what uh, and and for him too, you know, what is it you when you think about it right now, what do you, what do you feel you want? And when you go out there, you will discover other things. You might discover like, Oh, I thought I wanted that, but hell no. Um, exactly. But yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. It's a really good question, Maria. Thank you for asking it and best of luck. Yeah. Feel free to reach out for help. But one more thing, just yeah, to kind of dovetail and back to what we were talking about before, like having a mm-hmm. community is so crucial to um, this relationship style because the larger society doesn't have our back and they're going to pathologize us and we can internalize that. So it's really important that we have a community and, um, you know, try Facebook at first. There's a poly mono group on Facebook. There's, you know, all kinds of uh, groups and various discussion things on Facebook or, you know, just Googling um, not uh, polyamory meetup groups in your area um, and mm-hmm. certainly ask Victor and or me for help and we can connect you with communities in your area. But, yeah, having a community where it, this stuff gets normalized makes all the difference in the world. And, Victor, when you were talking earlier about, you know, h- how we were as, you know, indigenous people originally, I often use the term tribal amory for myself. Like I call myself a tribal mm-hmm. amorist because – I feel the happiest when I'm in a group. And so I've been very deprived of that during the pandemic, deprived of that energy of being sensual, not necessarily even sexual. I'm not talking about going to like total orgies all the time, but just being able to be right. in a, a cuddle pile or have sensual friends that I can give long hugs to. And that just makes me feel more alive than anything. Yeah. The the word I use, uh, sometimes tribal makes my I cringe a little bit because um, there's a lot of people that have difficulty with that word. Um, I use the mm-hmm. I use the term uh, c- uh, commune communamory. <laughs> Describe myself as communamory. Uh, okay, communamory. <laughs> right. Communamory. Uh, but it's a, but it's a similar thing, and you know I have mm-hmm. a pretty strong 
background in like contact improv and ecstatic dance and lots of I I sometimes feel like oh my my main partner is com- is community when when I have it makes a makes the time that we're living in right now pretty tough um, but exactly that's, that's where I am <laughs> I feel the same way my primary partner is community I love that <laughs> well guess what we have another question let's see oh, cool. what this person has to say hold on just a second yeah. Hello. Hello, call. Hello, caller. Ending in eleven seventy-two. You're on the air. Do you have a question for Victor? Um. Yes. Hi, Sumati. This is Carolyn, and I have a question oh, hi, for Carolyn. Victor. It's um. Hi. Um. I tuned in a little late, but I liked what you you were saying, Victor, about being co- about colonizing and working against that feeling of being colonized as, as ownership of each of people, each other, and people. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a that's a Kind of a, a deep feeling, um, it, you know. It, it's it's that's a great way to put it. Uh, the, all those feelings that come with trying to control our partners or want, wishing they would do something that else than they're doing. And I just wonder what you what you believe is the process for unlearning that the really deep psychological process, the steps people can take to unlearn that feeling, which I know I know has been ingrained in us so deeply. Mm-hmm. That's a really, uh, really great, great question. Um, and it's not, a, it's actually not an easy question, uh, to answer because mm-hmm. it's, it's hard for us to have, uh, community experiences that normalize what we're talking about. Um, but there mm-hmm. are, uh, but, but, but there, there are ways to play with. Um, so, uh, I, I will oftentimes invite, people like people already in relationship couples, let's say uh, into exercises that are about um, uh, sometimes I call them sovereignty exercises or decoupling exercises um, and not, not meaning decoupling like breaking up, but just un, unweaving the ownership a little bit. So they can be very simple things. Like if you have this belief that, um, living together in the same bedroom um, is the way, you know, it's just the way it's done. And if you, oftentimes people will have like, Oh my God, something's wrong. If my partner doesn't want to be in the same bedroom as I am. Um, And not to say being in the same bedroom is, is bad, but to do an experiment, what is it like to, to have separate places to sleep or, or, or to experiment with that? What's it like Mm -hmm. to, um, create experiences where one of you or both of you go do things uh, separately, like uh, uh, a mini vacation or a social event um, and uh, an experiment with that feeling of, of separateness and um, of, of, yeah, of not, again, not owning. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like kind of baby steps and and kind of just sharing out sharing sexual checking in a lot. Definitely baby steps because um, if you do any if you do anything that's like sudden and huge, um, usually the 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 mind uh, our bodies kind of like snap back <laughs> and we go, oh my god, that was too fucking intense. Mm-hmm. 
I, I need to come back and we just need to like forget about this. this yeah. Stupid. Um, so, so small, small chewable steps, but not so small that nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, I'm in a non-monogamous relationship, but it's been many years and many years before that of me stretching and getting and opening to that. And so I, mm-hmm. I just wonder how you start someone on that process. Yeah. So another so, an, another so big like another big right. yeah another big piece here, and this is sort of in the in the wider realm, sort of outside of relationship or sexuality, and that is really understanding um, uh, issues related to social justice and the land that we're on, um, the, this land that we own that is not ours. You know, getting deeper mm-hmm. relationship and understanding with those things of. Oh yeah, I I come from a culture that is about taking things. What does that mean? What does that mean mm-hmm. in the house that I live in, and what does it mean in the relationship that I'm in? Mm-hmm. Great, mm-hmm. that's a great yeah point. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for the question, Carolyn. Appreciate you calling in. You're, you're welcome. Bye. Cool. All right. So, yeah, Victor, would you say that um, if somebody's interested in non-monogamy, that they should start from a um, couple dyad first? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that's it. Next question. <laughs> yeah. No, there's 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 more there. Um, you, you're going to start wherever you start from. Um, if you're in a, if you're in a couple, if you're in a relationship and this comes up, that's where you're going to start. Um, mm-hmm. However, sometimes I, you know, when I work with people who are solo or sometimes I'll say this to people already in, in, in relationship um, or who are just about to start a relationship, this it's actually a good thing to, to play with, to explore, to understand Um uh, outside of coupledom. Um, and uh, I've talked with people who I've even done this before in previous relationships where, um, where I got into relationship and we said, okay, we have this value of being non-monogamous, but what we're going to do is we're going to like close down the relationship first and really develop mm-hmm. our connection and then open up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience has been that that's challenging um, because there's there's a type of attachment that we do in mm-hmm. in closed dyad uh, that um, becomes something we have to uh, overcome uh, in order to open up. And it's not that it's not doable. People do it all the time. Um, but even so, even if you have that value to like focus on the connection in that relationship first, um, and this, some of this is like psychological semantic games, but sometimes I say to people, what would it be like to not close, you know, to be with each other and maybe you don't pursue anything else, but to somehow mentally, psychologically go, yeah, we're, we are not, we're not closed. Um, and, and just to see what that does. Um, but just to go back to your question, Sumati, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have to, yeah, yeah, 
yeah, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. You start from where you are. Um, yeah, because I, I get but, that a lot but, when people learn, or people are newly learning about polyamory. They they think like, oh, so that means a couple that then adds other people. There's a assumption there's always a couple. So I thought I would throw always, that out there. It's always a couple. Yeah, there's there, yeah. there's a default assumption about the primacy of coupledom, um, mm-hmm. and I love challenging that. Um, Mm-hmm. And not that there not that there can't be a primary couple, but if people are going to do that, I want to invite them to do it really intentionally and not out of default. Right, and I think the reason why people think they should first have a period of monogamy before they open their relationship is to create a sense of safety. And a lot mm-hmm. of the agreements that couples make when they open their relationship are to try to get a sense of safety. So can you touch on that topic of like how do we um how do we get that basic universal need of safety without trying to control another person to make like make it their responsibility for us to feel safe? <laughs> um, p- personally, um I do that by not coupling. Um mm-hmm. but I know that's not how people <laughs> That's not how everybody is. Um, yeah, it's 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 tricky. Um, you know, the question you're asking is, how do we who have been raised in couple centric culture who are you know socialized to, to believe um, that our partners are ours, and you know to some degree, um, how do we how do we do that, but also do the other thing? Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I don't have a quick answer for that. I think it's, and, you know, different people feel this differently. There's some people who are like, I don't feel that at all. You know, and some people are like, oh my God, I have this idea. I want to be non-monogamous. Um, but when we start actually doing it, I freak the, freak the hell out. Um, yeah. um, and you know, I've, I've sat with people before who were like, we, we, want to be non-monogamous but we can't do it and I say to them it sounds like you can't do it and (laughs) is that okay is is that is that okay you don't have to do it Um, and there might be some yeah and and that's okay it's okay to not be able to do it Mm -hmm. well yeah because our intimate relations sorry our intimate relationships can trigger our core wounds unlike anything else in life. And when you add the element of non-monogamy to it, I think it, it makes it even more ripe for the possibility of your core wounds getting activated. And so if you right. can hold that and see it as a process for healing and not blame the other person for your feelings, right, like, mm-hmm. we're responsible for our own sense of safety. And, you know, sometimes our partners might leave us for another person, whether we're monogamous or not. You know, that's life. I hear that so happens. How can we be with those feelings? <laughs> so how can we be with those feelings is the question without um, making it about the other person and just learning the maturity of letting the difficult feelings flow through us and not making up a story around it that, like, I'm not good enough or that person was better than me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you raised something, uh, Sumati, that I just I want to speak to, and you know, because I talk about non-ownership, I also want to really be clear that um, I do not endorse pathologizing uh, people's wounds. Um, we are we are we are wounded, um, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not you know if it's not wounding, it's just desire. Like we don't desire to have that level of complication or, or uh, exploration. Um, mm-hmm. So, but but we do have wounds around attachments, and um, uh, and that's yeah. I do not I do not pathologize that or, or say hey just you know just learn to not own your partner. I mean that's ridiculous. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we have to support and address and nurture that and and support people through to go again. You know. Some people's if you have if you have a wound, um, you have to feel it through it yourself about whether mm-hmm. it's a, a wound that's doable in the context of non-monogamy. That's you have to mm-hmm. feel into that and figure that out. Right. Exactly. Well, Victor, I really appreciate you um, sharing your wisdom with us today, and there's so much more I'd like to ask about the overlap of non-monogamy and social justice, but I'm afraid we're out of time, so um, I'd like to give you a few minutes to tell our listeners where they can reach you, if you have anything you want to offer people, um, or anything else you want to say in the last four or five minutes. Thank you. Oh, well, first of all, I love, thank you so much for having me. I I just love doing this. Um, sometimes I get worried, like there's, there's like this sort of high minded, uh, theoretical part of this, you know, talking about community and human evolution, blah, blah, blah. And then there's like, uh, how do we just like decide where we're going to go to dinner with your partner? You know? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so anyway, there's, yeah, there's, that's all good. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, where mm-hmm. I can be found, um, I am on uh, Facebook. Um, my professional page on Facebook is Ab Ovo, A B O V O, Somatic Sexuality and Relationship Coaching. Um, so you can check things out there. Also, my Victor Waring, I'm on Facebook. You can connect with me there. Um, and my current website um, is embodiedintimacy.wordpress.com. You can find me there. And I'm also on Instagram, Instagram as Bonobo Man. Mm-hmm. I like the bonobos. <laughs> um, and the next thing that I have coming up, um, I co-lead an erotic grief ritual with uh, a grief ritualist. Her name is Beth Erlander and myself. Um, uh, It's really come up during, during this time of COVID where um, uh, most of us are experiencing grief and, um, and I put it in the realm of erotic grief um, not not always about sexuality, but just missing connection, missing um, the ease of breathing each other's air. Um, some of it looks like the grief of being with a partner 24-7. Some of it looks like mm-hmm. not being able to be with anybody, any, anyone at all, but it's all grief. And some of it's sexual, you know, not being touched, not having orgasms, 
feeling your sexuality shut down. So this is a gr- erotic grief ritual. It's not, it's not sexual. There's no sexual activity. Um, but that's uh, Saturday, January 30th from 11 to 1 p.m. Pacific. And I'll be posting that in the next couple days on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Great. Anything else you'd like to say to close? Mm. Um, I want to say to people who are listening or will listen that um, uh, whatever you desire, whatever you come to as, as the truth of your what you want in relationship, whether it's polyamory or non-monogamy or swinging or monogamy or um, no, 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 no agami at all. Um, I just want to really <laughs> validate the, the truth of what people want. And I, I just really want to support people to, to come to that truth and to, and to strip away anything that they want to strip away um, in order to, to get to that, that truth of their humanness. Um, our relationships are, um, you know, we are, we are social primates. That is part of the definition of being human. Um, and I just want to support people in being more deeply human in the way that's true. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's a good note to close on that um, radical acceptance mm. of who we are as human beings. There's no right or wrong way to be. Just love yourself and <laughs> do your best to love others. <laughs> yeah. And don't be mean. <laughs> Don't be don't be a jerk. <laughs> well, thanks again, Victor. I wish you the best of luck with your upcoming workshop and all your other endeavors, and thanks for being you. Thank you, Samati. Thanks for being you. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we will be speaking with, um, if I can pronounce this name, Dr. Tangen. Tanjanika, Tanjanika Kuaskud. <laughs> I haven't heard her say her own name yet, so apologies if I'm butchering that. Um, but Dr. Tanjanika, or Dr. Tanj for short, is a um, clinical sexologist based in Texas, and she studied neuroscience um, in graduate school. So it will be really interesting to hear how her background in neuroscience and sexual health combine uh, around non-monogamy. So please join us next Tuesday. That would be the, what's the date there? The 26th of January for our next interview at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks everybody for coming. Have a lovely evening.